Good morning. I'm uh, Tim Rogers, lead pastor here at Grace Point. Thanks for being here this morning. We're glad to have you. If you're listening online later, thanks for listening online later. We're glad to have you listening. Hey, before I begin with uh, the morning's message, I want to let you know um, about a couple of um, people that we need to pray for. Um, and that is, uh, we can continue to pray for Christina Seifert, who is recovering from surgery this week. She's doing well at home, but she will uh, continue to benefit from your prayers uh, as she continues to recover, and Mike as he helps take care of her. Uh, Dan Rudy, some of you know Dan, um, some of you, many of you may not, but Dan um, Rudy's been in the hospital the last couple of days, Dan and Betsy Rudy, um, and, and uh, he is just working through some pain now, the, the short story is, is that. Um, but you can pray for Dan and Betsy as they um, continue to process some uncertainties in the days ahead as they walk the journey um, together here. Okay, so I just wanted you to know about that. Okay, you've, you are here this morning and you find yourself at Grace Point Church, we're glad to have you, and you've walked into a time where we are now um, seven parts into a nine-part series called Just Did It. And the Just Did It series is really the first three chapters of the book of Romans that we're trying to cover together and make sense of. And again, the idea behind it is that for all of us in, in all of life, there's something within us that wants to pursue peace with God and fullness with God and with one another, but we know we can never do it. And the reality of the Roman series is that we see there that Christ's death on the cross did for us what we could never do on our own and brought us to a place of fullness and completeness with God. Okay, so just did it is kind of that move, that vision towards seeing that we place our faith and our trust and our confidence in Jesus, not in ourselves. So many of us kind of know that at a, at a head level, and so we try to get into it in Romans. Now, here's what I want to do this morning. Um, this morning's uh, message will not really make sense unless we can get into the mind of what it was like to hear this letter to the book, or this letter to the the people in Rome read to them. So what I, what I need you to do is, with me for a moment, begin to kind of go back in time and think about what would this feel like to have been living at the time when this letter was read to you, because it would have been read to you first. It wasn't really part of the, known to be part of the scriptures yet, but it was just, this is a letter from a guy named Paul, from the Apostle Paul. And so you're an, you now, but you need to be an, an early New Testament um, Jew, okay? and, and this is going to be almost impossible for us to process. So I want to go back to an illustration I used several weeks ago and, and did use many times, and that is, if you remember um, during one of the series that we did, I said maybe the only way to kind of get our minds around this, being a Jew, is if, if imagine if you were asked or you were told that to be a good uh, follower of God now, you had to, to do two things, eat salad and wear orange. Some of you remember that? That I said, imagine if our code of conduct was, that God kind of gave to us, was you need to raise your kids this way and you need to be this way. That you are a people who, to be distinct in this world, I want you to wear orange and eat salad. And that's who you are. I've chosen you as a special people. You're going to do something fun. You're going to wear orange and eat salad. And that's who you are. And so we need to get in that mindset. So so getting in that mindset, now think about this. Many of you just had college graduation this weekend, right? Congratulations to all of you graduates, those who are thinking of graduating, those who hope someday to graduate, and those who don't care about graduation, congratulations to you too on who knows what. So you're graduating. Now imagine 
orange, you're wearing the orange college graduation gown, everyone else is in black, right? You get a graduation salad for your, for your graduation gift. You studied salad works. You got your bachelor's degree in how they make salads and the ancient art of how they made salads because this is so important to you. And you went to this graduation party and there was, you know, all decked out in orange. There's carrots everywhere because you can, it's both orange and vegetable. You can put in salads too and they're just great. And your, your, um, you know, your sister-in-law was there with their little kid and she, the little kid, little junior is in the baby seat, the car seat, and she's wearing, you know, orange. And you have pictures of your grandpa who graduated from college and it's black and white, but you can kind of tell he's wearing orange even though it's a black and white picture. And you have family that kind of gathers around you and everything about them is about, hey, let's, let's eat salad and, and wear orange together. And you know, and the family, there's some tension because some people in your family are like, uh, that's not really orange like that. They've always kind of been the light orange side of the family and we're the dark orange side of the family and there's tension. They don't talk about that, but you know it's there. And, and then there's always been discussion between Uncle Ed over here and you know Uncle Joe over here. He's a Caesar salad guy and he's a chef salad guy. And they talk about like my salad is a little more like righteous than your salad because it's practically a hamburger, all the meat you put on your chef salad over here. And there's kind of the tension with the family about how much how righteous you really are because there's orange and then there's mm, and then there's salad and then some people invented hot bacon dressing and if you put hot bacon on a salad it almost ceases to be a salad anymore just so much calories that get dumped into that thing so some people do that in your family and so this is all part of your dynamic and this is who you are you're you're people who've been raised your little kids have been raised and your great 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 grandparents were raised and all they did was was eat salad and wear orange and so what happens is in this part of our uh, letter to the book of, of Romans, it's as if now the people who in their world, um, orange and salad would be translated to basically obeying the law and being circumcised. And in their world and in your world now, imagine if I were to come to you and say this morning, and imagine if you were to give me the credibility to say this, to tell you guys, all the people around you who've been eating steak and wearing green are fine. They're fine. They're fine. They've got the same access to God that, that you have. And, and I, know, I know that you went to that graduation party, and I know that your family has fought over this for a long time, and that your great-grandparents taught you that, and they really wanted you to wear their orange hand-me-down dress that they kept handing down and down and down. And I know that you, your family has fought for that. I know that your sister kind of went prodigal and she went from wearing orange to wearing green and she was an outcast and a rebel in the family and I know that and that hurt and all that. But now I just, we need to tell you that it's all, it's all okay. And at that point, there's a crisis of faith, isn't there? Because imagine if the reason that you're wearing orange and eating salad is because God told you to. That you got a book from God and he said, this is what I want you to do. Not just this is tradition, but these are the things that I want you to do. God said that. And if, and if I were to come to you and if you gave me enough credibility in your life and I said to you, green and steak is fine, a couple of things are going to happen in your world. Number one, you're going to start to think... Um, do I trust this guy, number one? Number two, what do I do with this information? Number, number three, 
has my, has my ancestry been a waste? I mean, my grandparents fought for this. My parents fought for this. And, and has it all been a waste? But finally, perhaps the biggest question on the table for you is going to be, is God credible? Is God trustworthy? Because he's the one who told us. He's the one who said, if you will wear orange and eat salad, I'll bless you. If you'll obey the law and be circumcised, you're part of the chosen people. And if I come to you and tell you, hey, everything has changed, you're going to start to wonder not only how does my life have meaning and my life makes sense, but even bigger than that, you're going to start to wonder at crisis of faith moment, is God trustworthy? Is he credible? And this is exactly where the book of Romans leads us to in chapter 3. And so if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn there to the book of Romans, chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, there's one near you in the pew around you. You can find the book of Romans um, by going into the New Testament, kind of the back third of your Bible, and then going through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's four Gospels, and then the book of Acts, and then the sixth book in the New Testament is Romans. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, and you'll find Romans chapter 3. Now back it up into the last two verses of Romans chapter 2, because here is where Paul says this. Here is where he kind of drives at you as an orange-wearing, salad-eating Jew. He says, a man is not a Jew. This is verses 28 and 29 of chapter 2. A man is not a Jew if he is one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but God. In other words, all that stuff you used to be concerned about, making sure that you go to the right place where you can go out and your friends go out and they get a taco and you get salad and they get a burger and you get a salad. You always need to make sure that you get salad. You don't need to do that anymore. You just, it's of the heart of the heart. So at that point you start to, to think, verse 1 of chapter 3, what advantage then is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? Now don't read past that. Don't read past verse 1. Now I saw, I saw some of you now look down for the first time at your Bible to read verse 2. I just want to tell you. Uh, what advantage then is there in being a Jew? What advantage is there then in being a Jew, or what value then is there in circumcision? Okay, I mean, this is the question, isn't it? This is what God told us to do, Paul. And Paul is telling him, no, no, no. All that stuff you used to do, the law and the circumcision, the salad eating and the orange wearing, all that stuff is now kind of off the table in terms of obeying that outward stuff, and it's now a matter of the heart. And now you're saying, okay, Paul, not only is my whole life up in um, question now, but to be honest, my God is in question. Because isn't God the one in the Old Testament who said, you're going to be a chosen people? And as a chosen people, I want you to obey the law, and I will bless you if you do, and I will curse you if you don't. Isn't that what Yahweh said to us? Isn't this why we pass this down to our children? Not because I have a preference for it. I don't even like salad. I did it because God said so. Isn't that the deal? Isn't circumcision 
kind of the, the sign that we are a covenant people? And isn't wearing orange kind of that, that sign that people see wherever we are, that we are a chosen people? And isn't God the one who set this up, not me? I don't even like orange. It doesn't look good on me. I have green eyes. It doesn't work for me. But I did it. Why? Not because I wanted to, but because I believed that God wanted me to. And so then the question is, what advantage then is there in being a Jew? And the bigger question is, is God credible? Because there's a problem here. There's promises of God in the Old Testament to the people of Israel. And then Paul is saying, hey, we're changing the game. And the immediate question is, okay, whoa, you're, you're changing the game. Did God just change everything about salvation history? Did God just change everything about what he's doing? Can I trust how can I trust a God like this? How can I trust a God like this? And, and Paul, he, he, Paul says something next in verse 2 that you all have read because I told you not to, that is a surprising answer actually to the question. And he says, what advantages are in, in, in all this? And the answer, he says, is much in every way. Much in every way. First of all, they've been entrusted with the very words of God. So that much in every way. This doesn't make sense. Okay, now, now, now fast forward to being a Gentile, which I think all of us in here are. I don't know everyone, but I think all of us are. To be, to be honest, we, if we were to ask and answer the question, what advantage is there in being a Jew now? What would the answer be? None. I mean, how many of you ever heard? I mean, the ground is even at the cross. Galatians 3.28 plays into that, doesn't it? There's now no longer Jew nor Greek slave nor free, male nor female, for all are one, essentially, before Christ? Doesn't that sound familiar? So the question, to be honest, if I ask the question, hey, what advantage is there now in being a Jew? For a Gentile audience like we are, primarily, none. I mean, really, what's the advantage? Paul's answer is surprising. He says, much in every way. And that, that's not what I would expect at all, because I thought he was trying to tear this down. He says, first of all, they've been entrusted with the very words of God. And what he's saying is, God has given them his covenant, his promises, um, the words, his words of the prophets to carry through for generation upon generation upon generation. That God's words came to people through the nation of Israel, through the prophets um, through the, the kings, through the priests, his words would come. And so, as stewards of the word, and here's the thing, it's not just that they were like museum curators. Okay? It wasn't just that they had to keep the, the, the law and the words there. It's more like they had to keep the law in the sense of obeying it. So they're stewards of the word, and that means that... You, People will look at the word, and you guys know this, people don't care what you say about the Bible, they care what your life says about the Bible, right? They don't care if you think that, that marriage is good if you're getting a divorce, right? I mean, they, they don't care if you think that you should be, uh, be, be patient with your kids, if that's what the Bible says, you say you need to be. But if you're being impatient with your kids, they're reading you more than the Bible, right? We know that, right? Right? Let's just say yes on that one. Let's just go with that one. We know that. And so this is the same thing for the people of Israel, that they were the stewards of the words of God, not just that they were the curators and they held the word of God, but rather their lives were meant to live out in faith and obedience what God wanted. And the problem with that is this. Imagine now growing up as a, as a Jew, 
and you have all these laws to follow, and you've never read Leviticus, but let's say you happen to fall into it one time by mistake on your way through to, to another passage, and you read all these laws about ceremonial uncleanness and, you know, the sacrificial system and, and what they have to do, what the Jews had to do to be, um, to be pure and right before God. And you knew, you knew, because you, you grew up as a Jew, you knew that, you know, Uncle, Uncle Ed over here, the guy who likes Caesar salad, Uncle Ed, or who, who, maybe it was Joe, but Uncle Ed, he's the guy, you know, you're supposed to bring the best lamb for the sacrifice. But I knew, and we, it was a family secret, that nobody said anything, but he, he brought the second best lamb. We knew, because the first one, just his wife wouldn't let it go, and it, rather than fight with her, like he just, no, it's just not worth it. I'm gonna, the second best one just kind of looks close enough, so we're going to take... And everybody knew, but no one said anything because it just didn't want to raise the problem. And everyone knew that, you know, Uncle Ed's kids, they listened to, to music that others didn't listen to. It just wasn't quite right. And, and then there was a time to do the sin offering, and they didn't, they didn't do it, and that was clearly sin. You don't listen to that band, and they did, and that was sin. They didn't do the sin offering, and no one said anything. And, and I know that with my parents, when, when I was growing up, you know, my parents, they were, wow, were they mad at me that one time. I remember they, wow, I remember Dad had to leave the houses. He was just screaming at me, and, and he did not follow through on the Day of Atonement stuff. He did not even process that with the priest. And I know, I know, but no one said anything. So here's the thing. You grow up and you know that the people who are supposed to be the perfect bearers of God's word, who are supposed to be the ones who, who, who live out the word of God, are imperfect, right? They're imperfect. They cannot carry out the perfect fulfillment of the law, just like we can't, right? Just like we can't. And so the question becomes, if we can't carry out, if the Jews could not carry out the fulfillment of the law, then what is to happen? And check out verse 3. Here's what Paul says. Verse 3. What if some did not have faith? Will their lack of faith nullify God's faithfulness? In other words, for those who were a part of the Jewish community, who did not exercise the faith in God, who did not evidence the faith in God, who did not live the kind of perfect life that the law called for, what would happen to them? If they were a part of the community and you decided, let's say you're a part of that community and you're wearing orange and eating salad, one day you just decide, I'm so tired of wearing orange. Just in my own home, I'm wearing blue. I just need a break from this. And there you go. What do you do? Does your lack of faith nullify God's faithfulness? Because God has made a promise. I will be faithful to you. I will be faithful to you no matter what. And so when I'm not faithful and God is faithful, what happens? Kind of who wins in that battle? It, does God's faithfulness win or does my unfaithfulness win? And here's what he says in verse 4. Not at all. Let God be true and every man a liar, as it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. And so the answer is, and here's, here's where we're getting into Paul's theology now, that, that he's saying, even though you're unfaithful, even though I'm unfaithful, I cannot keep the full promise of God. God's faithfulness is so much stronger than my unfaithfulness that he will be faithful no matter what. And this is where we start to be like, well, that's kind of cool. Like, that's kind of nice to know that I have a backstop and that's God. So I can be a little unfaithful and he'll still be faithful. And then some of us are like, well, that might be kind of cool, but that also might be a problem. Because if that's true, now think about this, if that's true, if God is so faithful, 
that he'll even pull me through my unfaithfulness. <laughs> Why should I bother? Why should you bother? Right? Why bother? Why be moral at all? Is God really more faithful than my unfaithfulness? Yeah. So, why should I bother trying to be good at all? Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. If that is true, of which we say it is. And this is exactly where Paul goes next. Verses 5 into 8. But if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? I'm using a human argument. I need to tell you that this section can be a little um, difficult to unwrap uh, and unravel. Um, and we're trying to do that justice in the time we have. But you're a smart audience and you can unwrap and unravel this, right? Right. If our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? Is God unjust in bringing his wrath on us? So in other words, if my unfaithfulness, if I sin, no, let me clarify that, when I sin, when I sin, and what God does then is he extends grace to me, and you see that grace that God extends to me, and your response is praise to God. What an awesome and righteous God he is. Is he just then in punishing me for my sin when it gave him a platform for his righteousness to be seen more clearly by you? Because if I don't sin, he doesn't forgive and doesn't extend grace. You don't see it and you don't respond to his goodness that way. So is God therefore right in judging me for something that ultimately benefits him? Right? Right? And that's the issue on the table. Is God right in punishing me for something that will ultimately bring him glory? And that is an opportunity to extend righteousness. He continues the argument in verses 6 to 8. It's the same argument. He says, certainly not. If that were so, how could God judge the world? That is, is God unjust in bringing wrath? Someone might argue, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? Why not say, as we are slanderously reported as saying, and as some claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result. Their condemnation is deserved. Let me bring this down into the real world for us. Let's just say that there's a, a man and a woman who got married. They've been living together. They've been married now for a year. And um, the, the husband um, comes home from work, and he's a hard worker, but he also gets very dirty at work. So he comes home. And as is his habit, because this is kind of how his mama raised him, his mama always took care of him, and he married somebody both to kind of have companionship and to kind of get a new mama in some ways, okay? And uh, he comes home and he kicks off his work clothes and doesn't really think about it, but somehow, like magically, after a day or two, they show back up in his drawer, clean and folded. It's amazing. Not sure how that happened, but the jeans were dirty, the socks were dirty, the shirt was dirty, they were left somewhere, and later they're in the drawer, and I'll wear them again on Wednesday. Okay? Don't, don't know how that happened between then and now, but they did. So somewhere along the line, he begins to realize, wow, um, some people are really like crediting my wife with how patient she is with me and how gracious she is with me. And 
that's kind of cool, actually. She is. Like, wow, maybe she's the one who does the laundry. Like, wow. And, well, I mean, I know that somehow it went from dirty to clean, but okay, maybe she's the one. I'm putting it together. She, she's the one. Now, a year goes by, another year goes by, and they're two years into this thing now, and he continues to do this without really thinking about the implications for her. And she finally says to him, hey, honey, I love you, but would you please put your stuff in the hamper? Seriously? Are you kidding me? I'm giving you an opportunity to show your righteousness. I'm giving you the forum so that people can look at you and say, what a gracious wife you are. If I don't leave my stuff around the house wherever I want, people will not see that about you, and what in the world are we going to do? So you're welcome. You're welcome. This is Paul's argument. Seriously? Shall we, shall we do evil that good may result? And then he says in the last phrase there, their condemnation is deserved. In other words, the husband, and you know this, right? The husband who says that to his wife, his condemnation is deserved, <laughs> right? Really, do you really think, do you really think this is a good idea? Do you really think this is the best way to leverage the righteousness of your wife, to leverage her grace and goodness, is by leaving your stuff around? Because if I didn't leave it around... People wouldn't see it, and you're getting some pretty good compliments over there. So, I mean, really, I'm kind of helping you, right? And this is the foolishness of that. Now, to be honest, we look at that and we say, well, that's, that's fine, but I don't do that. Like, none of us, none of us have ever woken up, I don't think, and said, I'm going to do something wrong on purpose so that God's glory might be made known, and let's just do it. I'm going to sin because it seems like a good idea, and that way, man, God is going to get what he wants, and that's going to be great. Just like for most men uh, who, who do this, let's say, okay, other men do it, not the men in this congregation, but for a man, let's say a man, a theoretical man, a, a fable of a man, who would ever do that, would usually, usually not do that intentionally. Right? Would usually just be oblivious to it. You usually just think, well, this is kind of always what happened. I mean, I grew up and I left my clothes and they ended up, so I got married and I left my clothes and they end up. And So, I mean, what's the problem? Most guys are not coming home and saying, man, I want to frustrate my wife and so I'm going to leave him here. They're just not thinking about it. And this is kind of the same deal with this piece, and that is that here's what I think. I think we are just as guilty of thinking this way, except we don't identify it this way. And, and here's what I mean. But as we begin to think about God at all, and we begin to kind of process our view of who God is, we always view God, first of all, through the lens of my experience. As you see God, you see him, first of all, as your, your parents would have raised you, or your mom or your dad would have raised you, or a stepmom or stepdad or whatever would have raised you and shaped you to make you think about that. And you always tend to see God through the lens, first of all, of your experience. And what that means is this is that I, I will tell stories about God based on his faithfulness to me. I mean, I, I'm going to give you testimony. I'm going to tell you about the times when God has been faithful in answering my prayer. 
and my view of God is going to come through the filter of my world. How God interacts with me is how I'm going to communicate him to you. There's almost no other way to do that, but it is a little bit of a problem because our default tendency is to view God through the lens of my experience. So here's what happens. When I have a bad experience with God or I have an experience with God where he's quiet in my world or I'm quiet with him for a long time, I begin to wonder about his faithfulness. And I begin to wonder about his goodness. Because my view of God is really based on how he interacts with me. And here's what this passage is saying, is that you think about the Jews who grew up this way, um, always obeying the law and circumcision. And they're looking at God and they're saying, are you going to be faithful even though we're faithless? Yeah, 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 we are, we are. And so they're beginning to see this God and they're wondering, who is this God? Because you're starting to judge us. You're starting to condemn us. You allowed invasions to come, the Assyrians, the Babylonians to come in and kind of take over. So are you really faithful? Bad things are happening. I'm experiencing in life some really bad things. And if I view my God through the lens of my experience, when my experience is bad, I think my God is bad. And so the question is, man, are you really faithful? Are you really just in in giving me a hard time in my life right now? Is this really just? And this is the thing, we learn two things, I think, well, more, but in this passage, I want to highlight two things that we can learn in kind of our so what section here. Number one thing we learn is something about God. And that is this, that God is, first of all, his primary concern is for his glory and not my blessing. God's primary concern is for his glory and not my blessing. And so the, the, my base assumption is that I, I will tell you and I'll, I'll, I'll talk with you and we'll experience together the blessing of God when good things are generally happening to me. But the point is here that God is, first of all, for his glory, not for my blessing. You think of a passage like Isaiah 42, 8 up here. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to idols. That what we see within the the passage here, when the Jews are going to be asking the question, okay, where is God when the things are happening in my world that don't make sense? Is he just in bringing punishment? Is God just in condemning me as a sinner? I mean, come on, I might leave my clothes around the house, but seriously... Is he just in yelling at me for that because other people are seeing him and saying, man, what a righteous and good God he is. Is he just in punishing me as a sinner for the things that I do? Because I'm experiencing something bad, therefore I think, my God, I'm not sure he's faithful. Because my primary grid for seeing God is that he has to be faithful to me in order to be faithful at all. And what Paul is going to be arguing here is God is, first of all, faithful to himself. He is, first of all, a God after his glory, not after yours or mine. He's not after our blessing as much as he is after his glory and his fame, first of all. And so, yes, he's going to punish. Yes, he's going to judge. Why? Because he is, first of all, righteous. Now, we have a little bit of a problem because we don't have a category for that. But we are serving a God who is so... A perfect and good and full and complete and loving, that the most loving thing he can do is to demonstrate his goodness and his love and his favor by revealing his glory. If God is first of all for me and first of all for you, then he's elevating an imperfect being over himself. So God is first of all for his glory and first of all for his name and his fame. First of all, not for my blessing. The second thing we learn, not only about God, but also about man, is this. 
that instead of presuming upon the grace of God, I need to promote the glory of God. Okay? Instead of presuming on the grace of God, I need to promote the glory of God. And here's what I mean by that. By, by default, as we talked about this illustration of the husband and the wife, the husband generally does not come in and say, I'm just going to kind of throw my clothes there because I know it annoys my wife. Sometimes that happens. Generally, no. Generally, it's just kind of the way you begin to live. And then the wife, after a little while, maybe I'll say something, maybe I won't, maybe, I, maybe I'll, no, he gets pretty picky about that, so I'll just deal with it. And over time, you begin presuming upon the grace of your wife to do the things for you that you know you should do. And in our worlds, come on, it's the same way, isn't it? That I, that I presume, you know what, man, I know I looked at that thing this week, but people do so much worse stuff than what I do. And God is faithful even when I'm faithless, right? I mean, come on, I, I, know, I know that I have um, some problems with gossip. I really do. I really struggle with that. But it's really just kind of a prayer concern that I wanted to share with people. And how are they going to know unless I tell them? And I know I have a temper problem, but, man, it, if, it's just really my family trait. Like, that's the way our family is. It's not that big of a deal. My sin is not that big of a deal because God's glory and grace is so much bigger than my sin. That what happens, what happens for us, what happens for me, and I believe what happens to us, is that we tend to kind of fall into this, this um, middling ground in which we say, you know what, I'm so thankful for God's grace. We're a people of God's grace. By grace we've been saved through faith and it's not of yourselves. I'm for that. But what that can lead us to is to think, man, first of all, God is a God, first of all, of grace. And I'm telling you, God is first of all a God of glory. Secondly, a God of grace. And if that's true, that God is first of all a God of glory and then his grace comes from his glory, that means that it really actually matters very much what we do. Can you imagine in the husband-wife illustration, if the husband decides, you know what, instead of throwing my clothes over here, um, I'm not only going to pick them up, I'm going to do the laundry. Why? Because I actually love my wife of glory. I actually love my wife for her righteousness, and I don't need to do things that will help bring that out. I already know it exists. It's kind of like this a couple of weeks ago or months ago now. Um, had a conversation with someone, and I don't have these a lot, um, but they wanted to connect and talk, and we began to talk about their life. And they were kind of going through a renaissance in their life, a, a, a time when they were wondering, um, what does the future hold for me, you know, and what's next in my world? What do I do from here? And it was, it was neat to see within them this desire to say, I want, I want whatever I do next in my life to actually matter significantly for God. I, I want my career to matter for God. I want to take intentional steps in my relationships that it matters for the glory of God. How do I do that? What do I do? How do I do this thing? And I'm, I'm telling you, it was so um, encouraging and uplifting to be a part of a conversation like that with someone who says, you know, I'm not going to presume upon the grace of God to just kind of throw my clothes around the living room of God's 
house in my life anymore. I'm not just going to kind of live out and kind of go to school and just, as long as I don't do the really bad things, I'm fine, and just go to, go to work. And as long as I'm not getting into the really bad stuff, I'm fine. But I want to be somebody who doesn't presume upon God's grace, but wants to promote God's glory. Someone who moves from being passive and inactive and kind of, uh, generally, God is so good, I'm grateful for his grace. I want to move to be someone who is actively promoting his glory. And those are two different kinds of people. And you know that. And here, here's what I want for us this morning, guys. Here's what I want. And, and I know this section in Romans is um, a little challenging, but it's still good stuff. It's, it's powerful stuff for us to think through. What does it mean to be men and women who are men and women who are intentionally pursuing the glory of God and not presuming upon his grace? What does it mean? Come on now, men. What does it mean now, men? Young men, middle-aged men, Second middle-aged men? What does it mean in the stage of life you're in to be developing a, a courage of heart in serving those who are right next to you, whether that's a spouse or an employee or a, a friend? What does it mean to be a, a, a man who's making decisions based on God's glory being shown in my life where I am? Women. Same question, what does it mean to be a woman, a young woman, a middle-aged woman, a second middle-aged woman, who is thinking about, okay, in my life, through what I do, how I present myself, what I pursue, what does it mean for me as I'm walking through the dating years into getting married, maybe into having kids and into the career and second career and all that, what does it mean there for me, not just to be kind of middling along, kind of hope that things are working out and presuming on God's grace, but to say, man... May I never be like the guy who throws his clothes around. I want to be the one who says, man, I am for God's glory today. God is a God, first of all, of glory, and how do I represent that to him? Can you imagine what that would be like if we were to be making those kind of decisions on a daily, weekly basis, where I wake up tomorrow morning and it's like, man, it's a work week. Man, this is a week, this is a week where God's glory is coming through my office. It's coming through my business. It's coming through my choices with my kids and with my wife. And I know, and I know that I've always needed to be, be praying with my wife and my husband. I haven't done it. This week I'm doing it. I know that I've always struggled in my business to kind of figure out how to be generous with my employees. And I, this week, this is what I know I need to do. And, and I know that I've kind of faced my own temper and my own impatience. And I've always said it's just a family trait. But you know what? It isn't. I'm relying on God's grace to cover my sin, and I need to stop that. And I need to stop that now, because I don't want to throw the clothes around and just assume on God's grace anymore. I am for his glory and his fullness. And so how do I show that now? There's addictions that I have that I've always said I want to kind of get rid of that, and it's never come, it's never come. But now is the time to say, you know what? Enough. Enough of presuming on his grace, and you know it. His grace will cover it. It is true. It will cover it. But enough of that. Enough of that. Now to, now for his glory, I'm going to take the step of courage to, to bring this addiction to light, to talk, to speak, to walk into what I need to. And here's what I want us to do this morning, guys. It, this, this concept is powerful. It's strong, but it also requires courage from you and courage from me. 
And I believe this. I believe that we are becoming a people who are growing, in my perception, are growing in our courage and our willingness to be fearless. And our willingness to say, you know what, I'm going to step up now. And I'm going to step up in obedience to God's glory. And what does it look like for God to use my life to bring glory to him? And so this morning, this is going to be fun. This morning, I'm going to put something to you that's going to require courage, courage from you right now. And I don't know if it's going to work or not, but hey, let's give it a shot. And that is, what I'd like you to do this morning, right, right now, you're sitting here listening to this and you're thinking, man, I, I don't know why I was here this morning and I didn't even really want to be here, but I'm here and I, need, I know I need to do this. I know that I need to in my marriage, in my um, dating relationships, in my singleness, in my family, in my business. I know, I know that I need to make much of God's glory in this part of my life. I know that I need to take this step. I know it. I know that I've been presuming on God's grace. I've been coming home and throwing my clothes around and they get clean magically the next day and I'm so grateful for God's grace, I guess, but mm, I don't really stop to think about, man, what else should I do? So here's what I want for us this morning. If you are sitting here this morning and you're thinking, okay, this week, this week, I need to have the conversation with my wife, with my husband, with my kids, with my friends. I need to stop this. I need to start that. I need to create that or begin to talk about that. I'm going to ask you, if there's something stirring within your heart, I'm going to ask you to make that commitment kind of to yourself and to the people around you to stand now. And a hush falls over the audience. Why? I'm going to ask you to stand because of this. Because what we need are men and women of action who are for God's glory, who are going to say, in every phase of my life, this is what I want to be about. I want to be about his glory and not presuming upon his grace, accepting it, yes, but to be a man and a woman of courage, to say, I need to take this step for God's glory to be shown in my life. And so I'm going to ask you, I'm going to give this a moment here, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you, if this is something that's stirring in your heart and your mind, you say, I need to stop, I need to start, I need to do, I need to do whatever, then I'm going to ask you to stand. What that will create within you is questions for people around you, right? They're going to look at you and say, man, what a bad person that is. I can't believe they need to actually respond to God's word, right? They're going to, going to create within you questions of, should I even do that this morning? And what it's going to create is an opportunity for you actually to be committed, to be fearless this morning, to trust, and to give people around you a chance to, to talk with you and encourage you and give you a chance to talk with them. So, all right, this is new for GPC. Let's try it. If this is something where you say, man, I just need to, I need to. And right after this, by the way, we're all going to stand and pray um, and then and come into worship together uh, to close it out. But if you're, you're sitting here listening to this and you're looking at this passage and you're saying, you know, God, I'm, I'm done messing around. I'm done messing around on this issue. I'm grateful for your grace, but man, I know I need to lead. I know I need to serve. I know I need to start doing this. I need to stop doing this. God, I don't know how to do it, but I need your help in my marriage. I need your help in my, my kids. I need your help with my work. I need your help with my friends, God. I just need it. And I want to be a man and a woman for your glory, not to presume on your grace. If you're 
thinking that, feeling that. Let's stand. Those men and women standing, we're grateful for you, your courage and your strength. You're stepping up to a plate. Let's all stand with them. Let's pray together as a people as we grow in our courage and our faith. Our good God and our Heavenly Father, we are desperately dependent on you. We are desperately dependent on you. We are so broken inside. We so badly need your help. We so badly need to be supported by your spirit, to be encouraged by the people around us. We so desperately need your help. Father, I thank you for the men and women this morning who stood and who were saying, I need to make this commitment. I need to do this. I need to stop. I need to start who've done that now and have made that public commitment to say, this is what I need to start, I need to stop, I need to lead into, I need to serve with, who are going to make much of your glory. Father, the battle will be real and it will be immediate. This moment, they will be second-guessing as to what they're doing. I pray that you would give them courage and vision and, and, and a clarity of mind to follow through with what is on their heart now, with what your spirit is kind of writing in their hearts now, to give them that follow-through and that satisfaction of seeing you come through their life in a way that they haven't before. Father, I believe that there are many who are seated this morning who just wish they would have had the courage to stand with those around, but who did not. I pray for them too, and the, the desire is just as real, and I pray that you'd help them move to that next level of commitment to say that my life will be about your glory intentionally in every aspect of what I do. I'm not going to throw things around in my life anymore. I'm going to step into a life that's fully committed to you. Give them that courage to take those steps, Father. Our good God and Heavenly Father, we are a, a people who lean so heavily on you. We need you. We need your vision. We need your wisdom. We need your courage. And we're grateful as we come together and we sing this final song together that it's all because of you that we're even alive. It's all because of Jesus that we're here. And so may these words, as we reflect on the, uh, the glory of our Savior, may they drive home the point that you can be trusted, that you can be trusted to resource us and to give us strength for all that we will ever need to do the things this morning that we have said in our minds and our hearts that God you're speaking to me to do give us that wisdom now the courage and the strength as we sing this to take those next steps we pray in Jesus name Amen